Thanks, Ben. He said, oh, it's a long one. I said, I know, but it's a good story. So there was a television show in the late 90s, 1999 to be exact, and we're not going to talk about how old that made me feel when I looked it up 23 years ago. Um, it was a show called Freaks and Geeks. It was only on for a couple seasons, but it's kind of developed this uh, following as, as we've gone on in time. The show followed a high school freshman as he tried to navigate the underworld that is high school. The show is officially described as the sad, hilarious unfairness of teen life. And I've, I felt that. If you've been a teenager, you feel that. It follows a pair of siblings in a suburban Detroit high school as they try to figure out who they are and as they try to craft their high school identities. Siblings Lindsay and Sam try to navigate their teen years, trying to figure out how their friend group, which are lovingly nicknamed the Freaks and the Geeks, how those groups help to determine their personal identities. There's one episode where one of the less athletic kids from the Geeks group is tired of being camped out in deep right field in PE baseball, and he makes his irritation known to the gym teacher. The, the PE teacher, upon hearing the concerns of Bill about being picked last and ending up out in deep right field, decides to change things up a bit. And at the beginning of the next PE class, the gym teacher makes Bill a captain. As you watch the scene unfold, you see Bill, a not very athletic looking young man, begin to choose teams for their class baseball game. The first thing he has to do is choose the opposing team's captain. He chooses one of his best friends, another non-athletic looking fellow. And these two unlikely captains have greatly irritated the jocks in their class as they clearly don't understand baseball. They don't even know the game. They're way out of their element. And the jocks make their unhappiness known to the coach, but it falls on deaf ears. You see, Bill and his friends have been the last one picked for their entire PE lives. Have you ever been there? Standing in that lineup that is just meant to humiliate all souls. Just standing there listening as your classmates choose the best players first and you stand and wait. Obviously not the MVP of the group. That's where Bill had been, the non-MVP of PE class. But this day, this was Bill's day. This was Bill's game. The teams are chosen and finally the geeks will have their moment in the sun. Freaks and Geeks is a TV show, but it reflects experiences that have happened to many of us throughout our lives. Maybe this didn't happen to you. Maybe it didn't happen to you in gym class. It happened to me in gym class, but music class, when people had to choose duet partners, it was a whole different ballgame then. Maybe it didn't happen to you in high school. Maybe it's happened to you in other areas of life. Maybe it was in that mother's group that you joined, or, or maybe it was at work when you didn't quite click with your coworkers and you were the one left out of the lunch invitation. We have all stood on the sidelines of life sometimes, 
praying not to be the last ones chosen. We've all had times in our lives where we have felt disconnected, undervalued, and marginalized in a place or by other people. And we know how it feels when we don't understand we have value because others around us don't value us. It's easy to lose ourselves in that. It's easy to let ourselves become the labels that others in society place on us. It's easy to feel as if we don't belong because we don't belong to a certain group. It's, it's important, though, for us to find our tribe of people, for us to feel connected and valued. God created us for connection. If you'll notice, as we went down the line of, of the young gentlemen from Demolay, most of the things that they mentioned were not like, I love the great programming that we have. I really love, you know, the literature they give us to read. No. They said, I really like coming and, and hanging out with my friends. I really like playing pool. I really like being able to, to put together these events. They like the connection. They like to belong. They like to be part of something bigger than themselves. You know, that's how God created us in the creation story. When God is making Eve following, you know, her making of Adam, she says, or God says, it's not good for us to be alone. Feeling connected is part of our DNA. You know, we kind of laugh at the story of freaks and geeks as it plays out, but it's kind of the same story we hear in our scripture reading today. The kids and freaks and geeks are in a vulnerable position. Their lack of athletic ability is not something that they're proud of, and they long for a different life. They long for the tide to turn and for them to be the stars of the team. And their coach gives them that chance. The woman at the well is in a vulnerable position. As she sits with the Savior, and as Jesus begins to tell her about her life, it's clear that she has experienced a lot. In addition to her life's story being told, she's in a vulnerable position just by being there physically. She's a Samaritan woman. She is alone speaking with a Jewish man. You have to understand there was a bitter hatred between these two groups of people, a bitter hatred that had been there for generations. The fact that Jesus had even gone into Samaria was enough to cause a disruption. Normally, a Jewish faithful would never enter into Samaritan, Samarian territory. They would go out of their way to avoid this region. But Jesus, Scripture says, felt compelled to go there. He had intentionally sought out this moment. The people of Samaria knew how the Jewish felt about them. They knew that they did not value them as people of faith. Actually, they weren't valued as people at all. They were not deemed worthy of any sort of attention. They were non-entities. Yet we find the Savior of the world right in the middle of this forbidden land, this enemy territory, to add to this already strange moment, a Jewish man and a single woman would never 
be seen sitting and chatting together at the well. It wasn't proper. It was forbidden. You see that in the reaction of the disciples when they come back. What is he doing, they think. You know, it's funny, though, they don't ask him. In Scripture, none of them asked him why, and I wonder if they knew better at this point. You know, they had been with him long enough to know that if they said, why are you talking to that woman, that he would counter with, why not? Why shouldn't I? Jesus was teaching a valuable lesson here. He's teaching a valuable lesson to the woman, but also to the disciples. How many times do we have to hear from Jesus that there are not people that are outside of God's love, that there are not people that are, there's a border standing between us. That's what he teaches us over and over again. Why shouldn't I speak with her, he would say. Well, because she's a Sumerian. How long until we know that God's love is not bound by our borders? It was a hard concept for people then. It remains a hard concept for people now. David and I were just talking about this the other day. I heard someone talking about someone that had an opposing view, a different view, and they referred to them as the opposition. Like, really? This is where we're at? If you believe differently than I do, you're my enemy. You're the opposition. You're my foe. Jesus is showing us in this story that God's love crosses boundaries, erases labels, has no limits. In fact, it goes beyond that as Christ often does. The story of the woman at the well reminds us that God will intentionally seek out those that even God's people don't believe are worthy of a conversation. Have you ever thought someone wasn't even worthy of a word? Not even worthy of a hello? That's what they thought. And we see God seeking them out, these opposers. So many barriers surrounded Christ and the woman at the well. So many dividing lines stood between them. So many expectations hung heavy in the air that day. As Jesus gently breaks the silence and says, will you give me a drink? And you may think, well, big deal, he was thirsty. She had a bucket, the well was deep. But what if we look into it deeper than that, which I think is what God is calling us to do. In asking her to give him a drink, Jesus was validating her very presence. Jesus was saying, I see worth in you. I don't just see a Sumerian woman. I see a sister, a friend. And soon he would realize she was a theologian, this woman at the well. She was no dummy. As soon as Jesus asks her for water, she begins to pepper him with questions about why he would do that. Why would you ask me for that, she asks. This isn't right. You're a Jew. I'm a Sumerian. You're a man. I'm a woman. You're a teacher. Why are you talking to me? She challenges him. Jesus does not dismiss her questions. He answers each one of them. He takes her seriously, and in doing it again, he's validating her worth as a person. 
Because in order to reach her, he needs to address all of her questions. He needs to tell her what he, what he means when he says he can offer her living water. He breaks down what she clearly already knows so that she'll believe him. Have you ever been there where you make God earn your trust before you'll tell him the things that he already knows? But he does, he's patient, he earns her trust enough so that she can be completely vulnerable and she admits that she doesn't have a husband. Sometimes we get hung up on that in this story. Don't. The circumstance of her life is probably not in her control. I have no husband, she says. I know. You've had five husbands and the, and the one you live with now is not your husband. He doesn't judge her and condemn her. He, he tells her that he knows her. Throughout this conversation, the Savior engages the woman, respects her questions and her challenges, and he answers those. He hears her honesty, and he shows her that he already knows all there is to know, and he respects her. He shows her that in spite of everything about her life, the fact that she's a woman, she's from Samaria, in spite of the fact that she's had multiple marital situations, she's living in poor circumstance right now, despite the fact that everything about their culture says she's of no value, that he sees value in her. Do you know what that feels like? Do you know what that feels like? To have the savior of the world sit and say, I see you and I know you and you're okay. Value enough, you're more than okay. Value enough that he would go out of his way to enter enemy, enemy territory to find her. That he would break every rule to speak with her, to engage with her until she has a true understanding of who God is. Last week, we talked about broken cups that are repaired by the master. The woman at the well was the epitome of a broken cup that was fused back together and sealed by God. And she takes what's been repaired and she goes back to her village and she begins to witness to everyone about what's just happened. And I want you to notice, God doesn't change her circumstance. See, that's what we pray for a lot. We pray for God to change the world around us that we can then minister to them. That's not how Jesus operates. That's not how he operated in his time. He sought out the opposition. He sought out the one who the world deemed as having no value. He sought them out and he went for them and he sat with them and he validated them. We often will say, Lord, help me. Help me in this circumstance. And then... And then I will do your work in this world. Fix me, fix this. And then Jesus says, no. God doesn't change the woman's circumstance. She all of a sudden doesn't have a high standing in her community. He doesn't go and find her a husband and restore her to wholeness in that way, which was important in that culture. He doesn't work in the hearts of the people of her village he doesn't prepare them to hear her testimony that then they'll validate her and build her up. No, he just unleashes her. 
because she's been empowered enough to know that she's worthy. You see, that's what needs to happen. We need to understand our worth, that we can then affect change in our world. You can't do that if you're standing on the wall afraid you're going to be called last. You don't see the value in you that you can go out and do the work of God, which really is just telling people our story. Just saying, hey, you know me? Me with five husbands, me that lives with someone that's not my husband right now, you know me, the mess that is me, God went out of his way to come into enemy territory to find me, me, who the world says isn't worth anything. God came for me. So it doesn't matter what you say. I know what God says about me. And he says that about you too. That's all she needs to know. She has a story that can minister to people. She went to the well, a broken woman, and she came back shining with the light and the gold of God. She went back to the same circumstance, but she was different. And she made a mighty impact for Jesus. Did you hear at the end of the story, many in her village came to know him because of her. So she went back into enemy territory to preach the gospel of a Jewish king. We all have brokenness. We talked about it last week. But we all have potential and abilities. We just need to sit with Christ for a while and receive the living water that he offers. And then we need to trust him and unleash ourselves. Empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and we need to share how God has worked in our lives. That's all we have to do. Tell our own story until all of humanity knows. As we move into our praise song, I invite you to just sit, sing, but sit with Jesus. The Jesus who has come into the enemy territory who has sought you out. So come and sit with God.